Well, the Bible is a story of God making covenants with his people. And a covenant is a relationship that God establishes with his people. And he guarantees that relationship by his word. Another way of describing a covenant is that a covenant is a formal agreement between two parties. Fortunately, we have a God who wants to be with his people. He wants to have a relationship with his people. And he established a relationship with his people. And that's what we call covenant. Now, we are in the middle of a sermon series called Covenants, and I'm taking you through all the major covenants that God made with his people from Genesis on. And just to give you a brief summary of what we've covered thus far, there are seven major covenants in the Bible. We've already talked about three. The first covenant is called the covenant of life or the covenant of works. And God, he, at the very beginning, he made a relationship with the first human being, Adam, And when he made this relationship with Adam, he told Adam, all right, Adam, I want to have a relationship with you. I created you. I created this beautiful garden, and I want to have a relationship with you. And and as part of this relationship, I want you to, to not only take care of the garden that I've given you, but I don't want you to eat from a specific tree called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat from that tree then death will enter this world and things won't go well with you. Well, Adam, like all of us, we fall short of God and his standards and his perfection and we sin. So what did Adam do? Well, he and Eve, they ate from the tree they weren't supposed to eat from. And because of that, they were banished away from the garden. There were severe consequences. Death entered the world, sin entered the world, and they were no longer near the presence of God. God, right then and there, could have eliminated mankind throughout history. He could have just done away with Adam and said, no more. But fortunately, we believe in a God who not only is a God of wrath and holiness, but he's also a God of grace and patience. And so what did God do? But he entered a second covenant with Adam called the covenant of grace. Adam failed to keep the covenant of life, which would have given him eternal life, But God came, intervened again in his life and gave him a second covenant called the covenant of grace. And in the covenant of grace, it starts in Genesis 3.15 when God made a promise to Adam, but he was cursing Satan, the serpent. And this is what he said. He said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. What this promise is, is that God was not only cursing the serpent for what he did by tempting Adam and Eve to sin, but he said, Satan, one day there's going to come from the line of Eve, the spiritual line of Eve, an offspring. And that specific offspring, that person, will come to this world and not only will he deliver my people from their sin and misery, but he will strike your head. In other words, (laughs) he'll send you into the abyss forever. That was a curse to the serpent that God made. And it was also a promise that God gave to Adam that from his line would come a Messiah who would keep the original covenant that God made with him. He would keep the covenant of life. He would not break it. And because of that, because of his perfection, it would make his people righteous and it would give them hope in this world and in eternity. 
Well, after the covenant of grace was initiated in Genesis 3.15 with this profound promise, then what happened was, is Adam's line continued on, and what we see is we see a lot of sin take place. And it got so bad in this world that God said, okay, you know what? I wanna eliminate this world. But because God is trustworthy and he always keeps his promises, even though he wanted to destroy and wipe off this world off the face of this planet, he still held true to his promise that he made in Genesis 3.15. And so out of all the people in the world who were wicked, he found one righteous man, Noah. And he said, Noah, I, I, I keep my promises and so I'm gonna keep my promise with you and your line. And what I'm gonna do is, I'm gonna bring a flood to this world. I'm gonna destroy this world. But I'm still gonna hold true to my promise that out of your line will come a seed who will come and destroy Satan. So he told Noah to go and to build an ark, to take his family, to, to bring animals upon the ark. And then over time, the waters would, would flood the earth. But over time, the waters would recede. And when the waters receded, then Noah and his family would then go back to the world and they would not only have a creation that was stable, but they would be able to expand across the world and build God's kingdom. That was all part of God's plan and God's covenant with Noah. So all that took place. <laughs> and then shortly after, Noah and his family began to rebuild upon this earth. They continued to sin. And the storyline continues of how <laughs> sin continues to flood the earth. Well, instead of Noah's descendants going all around the world and, and expanding God's kingdom and telling everybody about a, a future Messiah to come, instead of doing that, they all focused in on one area, one city called Babel. And in that city, they built this tower because they wanted to make a name for themselves. And they wanted to prove to God that they didn't need God. And, and they wanted to build a tower all the way up to the heavens. Well, God knew what was going on. And so God wanted to make and put a stop to this. So what did God do? But he confused them by bringing about different languages where they couldn't communicate with one another, so they would stop the building project. And then God spread them throughout the world. He spread them throughout the world, which was his original intention. But in this time, people couldn't understand each other. And so it was mass chaos. So you would think at this time in history, God would break his promise and that there would no longer be any hope for humankind. But here's the good news. Despite our sin and wickedness, God is a God of grace. And he continued to build upon his promise that he made to Adam in Genesis 3.15. And he continued the covenant of grace with a man named Abraham. Abraham was the least likely candidate for God to choose. I say that because Abraham was old in years. And Abraham was a pagan, and he had no children to his name. But yet, God called Abraham to fulfill his purposes. And out of nowhere, God called this non-believer, Abraham, and he said, Abram, I want you to go to a foreign land. I want you to leave behind your comfort, your security, your homeland, and go to a foreign land. And there in that land, I will build you a great nation with many descendants. And from your line will come the seed, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Out of all candidates, Abram was the least likely candidate. But often, 
God uses us who are least likely candidates to do incredible things for his glory. As we look at the covenant with Abraham that God made, we're going to see two commands God gave Abraham and two promises. The first command that God gave Abraham came in Genesis chapter 12 when he told Abraham to leave his foreign land and to go into a land that he promised him and his descendants. Genesis 12, verse one. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is the first command that God gave Abram, soon to be Abraham. He gave him this command saying, I want you to leave your comfort zone and I want you to go into a land that I will show you that you will build upon for generations to come. Fortunately, this passage fell right in the middle of our missions conference. I say that because many missionaries, they feel called by God and they go back to Genesis 12 as a reminder of the calling that God has placed on their life. Just like Abraham, many missionaries, they receive this call from God to go to another land that's not their own, to leave their comfort zone behind and to go tell people about Jesus Christ. Many missionaries can resonate and relate to Abraham in Genesis 12 as they followed this call upon their life. One missionary, his name was Henry Martin. Henry Martin, he was a wealthy, distinguished student and scholar He ended up going to Cambridge University. And as a student, by the age of 20, he had tremendous accomplishments, especially that in math. He was so good at math that he received the highest recognition possible in that field. But despite his success, at the age of 20, Henry Martin, he he felt emptiness inside. And so he said that instead of finding fulfillment in in his achievements... He had only grasped a shadow. Martin, he ended up rejecting many opportunities that were presented to him in order to go to the mission field to India. And this is what he said when he felt the call by God to go to India. He said, here I am, Lord. Send me to the ends of the earth. Send me to the rough, the savage pagans of the wilderness. Send me from all that is called comfort in earth. Send me even to death itself, if it be but in your service and in your kingdom. He went on to say, Lord, let me burn out for you. In the next years, he ended up learning the language. He ended up preparing himself to go to India, a foreign land. He left his comfort zone behind. He goes to India, and he's there for three years, and he gets killed by the age of 27. But in the three years when he's in India, guess what he was able to do? He was able to translate the New Testament into three difficult Eastern languages. These notable achievements were certainly not passing shadows for Henry Martin. But just like Henry Martin, there have been many missionaries who have related and resonated with the story of Abraham, of how God has called them to go to a foreign land that's not their own, to learn a language, to adapt to a new culture, to learn new customs and traditions, and to tell people about Jesus Christ. My question to you is, is God calling you? Is he he calling you to go to the mission field? Is he calling you to start a ministry in this church or in this community? Is he calling you to take a leap of faith to do something noble for him? If he's calling you to do it, 
like Abraham, go, go and take that risk for him and don't look back. After God gave Abraham this command, he then gave him two promises that we read in Genesis 15. And in Genesis 15, this is where we see God's covenant with Abraham take place. There are two promises in this chapter. One, the first promise is that of Abraham having many descendants in his line. The second promise is that Abraham would be given the land that God would give him. So let's look first at the first promise of many descendants, the promise of Abraham's seed, verses one through six. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. As Abram said, and Abram said, behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, this man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. The first promise that God gave Abraham was he said, Abraham, you will be a father of many nations. This is the covenant promise that I give you. But notice what Abraham did, how he reacted to this first promise. The first thing he did was he said, uh, Lord, you're telling me I'm gonna have a son, but I'm an old guy here. My wife is well beyond the years of having a baby, and so the only closest relative to me is this Eleazar guy. Is he gonna be in my line? Is, is he the guy you're talking about? And then God said, Abraham, look, I'm not only going to be your reward, I'm going to be your great reward, so don't fear what I'm telling you. And what I want you to do is I want you to go and I want you to look up and I want you to see all the stars in the sky and I want you to start counting them. And he said, as, as numerous as the stars are in the sky, so shall your offspring be. It was a promise that God made that essentially you're gonna have a, a number that is beyond counting, a number that is beyond your imagination of how many descendants will come from your line. Just wait and watch what I am to do. And right after that, verse six takes place. And Genesis 15 verse, verse six is one of the most important verses in all of the Bible. It said that Abraham believed and God credited to him as righteousness. Four times is this verse in Genesis quoted in the New Testament. Why is it quoted so often? It's quoted so often because it tells us that Abraham believed in the promises of God and he believed in a future Messiah to come. And because he believed in that future Messiah, he was counted as holy, as righteous, as good. It wasn't because Abraham did a lot of good things. It wasn't his actions that got him righteous, that made him righteous. It was his faith. God intervened in his life sovereignly. He changed his heart. Abraham responded in faith. And because of that, God made him righteous. It's what theologians call imputation. Imputation means that you're, you have something put on you that you didn't possess before. Abraham was counted, he was credited, he was reckoned as righteous. And the, the righteousness was, was Christ's righteousness, his future descendant that would be placed on him. 
Now, I want you to imagine owing $1 million to the government. You are in debt out of your ears. And I want you to imagine your parents passing. And as they passed, they left in their will and testament $2 million for you. Not only will you be able to pay off the debt, but you'll have more money to help you for the rest of your life, as long as you manage it well. The point of the matter is this. Jesus Christ, (laughs) he took on our debt. He placed it on a cross on his body, and he was beaten so that he could take on our debt and pay our debt. And then he gives us his righteousness so we can have abundant life on this earth. We can have peace and joy and we can have comfort that non-believers don't have because we have the peace of Christ that rules our hearts. That's what Genesis 15, 6 is. Is Abraham believed in a Messiah to come and because he believed in the promise that was given in Genesis 3, 15 and that he would have a descendant who would conquer Satan because he believed in that. God said, I'm gonna count you righteous. I'm gonna make you righteous. In the same way, if you believe in Jesus Christ, God will make you righteous. He'll make you good. He'll make you holy. Now, you will still sin and still struggle with it, and at the same time, you can resist Satan, and he will flee from you. That's a promise that God gave to Abraham, and it's a promise that he gives us. Right after God gave this promise to Abraham and Abraham believed and cherished that promise, God gave a second promise in Genesis 15 and it's the promise of land, verse seven. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, oh Lord God, how am I to know what I shall possess it? He said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years." But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, to your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the, to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cabanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephraim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. What happened here is profound. God gave Abram a second promise. He said, not only am I going to make you the father of many nations, but I'm also going to give your descendants This land, this land of Canaan flowing with milk and honey. You know what's interesting right after God was appearing to Abraham and he told him this? What did Abraham do? But he questioned God. He said, God, can you just, can you show me a sign? 
can you just make it obvious for me that your promise will stand and that this will actually happen? As I read this this week, I thought about you and me and how we do the same things, don't we? We ask God to show us a sign. When we start getting impatient, we start saying, okay, Lord, can you just show me a sign to make it abundantly clear that this is the direction I need to go in? Lord, can you make it clear that this is the person I'm supposed to marry? Lord, can you make it clear that this is the house I'm supposed to buy? Lord, can you make it clear this is the job I'm supposed to take? Can you make it clear this is the school I'm supposed to send my kids to? Can you make it clear that this is the time when I'm supposed to retire? I just need you to give me a sign, and then I'll be good to go, and I'll move forward. Well, God doesn't always operate that way, where he gives us signs out of the clear blue. It is important for us, whenever we're facing a big decision, to get counsel, to pray about it, to feel at peace before we make a decision. But at the end of the day, God is with us. He will never leave us or forsake us. If we've done our homework, then move forward. Too much analysis can lead to paralysis. And so often, we have so many options out there that we can analyze things to death and we don't ever move forward. I think Abraham was in that situation right then and there. He's saying, Lord, just show me a sign and then I'll keep moving forward. I'll believe, I'll believe in this promise. But here's what I love about what God did to Abraham. He could have rebuked Abraham. He could have said, Abraham, wake up. Come on, man, I'm just, I'm talking to you. I'm revealing myself to you in a vision. Is that not good enough? But he was patient with Abraham. And he wasn't just patient. He once again was gracious to Abraham. And he, and he had Abraham go and, and fall into a deep sleep where there was darkness. And it was this intense vision that Abraham had of, of how one day his descendants would be thrown into slavery for a land not their own for 400 years. But one day God would deliver his people out of slavery and they would come back to the land that he promised to give Abraham. But here's the thing that God told Abraham to do. And here's the sign that God gave Abraham. And it's one of the most important passages in all the Bible, Genesis 15, 17. He told Abraham, I want you to cut all of these dead carcasses. I want you to arrange them in rows where they're facing each other. And I want you to see yourself kind of walking between these dead pieces. But here's the thing that's beautiful about Genesis 15, 17. What God was telling Abraham to do was, was a tradition that was done in Abraham's day. In the Old Testament days, there would be two kings that anytime they came up with an agreement or a treaty, they would literally cut animals in half. It was really bloody and messy. And they would put them opposite of each other. And both kings, they would walk like a center aisle through the gauntlet together. And the whole point of the matter of these two kings was they were promising each other that if one of them broke the agreement or if they broke the promise, they would be as good as those dead carcasses. Curse would be upon them and their word would be as good as dead. It was pretty intense, a pretty intense scene here. But this is why I love Genesis 15, 17 so much. You don't see Abraham and God going through the gauntlet together, do you? You only see this manifestation of God, a smoking fire pot, a flaming torch going through the gauntlet. 
It's what theologians call a theophany. Theophany, theos, God, funny, is manifestation. We know that God does not have a physical body. He is a spirit. And at the same time, we know throughout Scripture that God appears in manifestations. And the median to which he appears to people is through fire. There is a passage in Scripture that describes God as an all-consuming fire. And if you think about it, there are at least three times when God appeared to his people through the means of fire. When God appeared to Moses, how did he appear to Moses? In a burning bush. When God was with his people through the wilderness, how did he lead them? Through a pillar of fire, cloud and fire. And now, once again, we see God appearing to Abraham through a smoking pot and a flaming torch. An all-consuming fire is who God is. When Abraham sees this, he realizes what's at stake here. He realized the statement that God made to him. What God was saying to Abraham is, Abraham, this is a one-sided covenant. And I, myself, am walking through the gauntlet, not you, me. And as I walk through the gauntlet, I want you to know that if I break my promise to you, I will be cursed and I will be as good as these dead carcasses. You know what God was doing here? He was swearing to himself and on himself. There was nothing greater than him that he could swear upon. He couldn't swear on his mother's grave. He didn't have a mother. But God swore on himself a one-sided promise that he made to Abraham. And he is essentially saying to Abraham, the immutable will become a mutation. He's saying the infinite will become finite if I break my word to you. It doesn't get much better than this. This is why I love Genesis 15, 17. Because God is making a profound statement to Abraham and to all of us who believe in him that his promises will stand and he will never break his word. The book of Hebrews, it tells us two things about this. It tells us God never dies and God never lies. And that's what God is doing here in Genesis 15, 17. His promise will stand forever. And it's a one-sided promise. That's what grace is all about. So God, he, he not only told Abraham a command, go and leave this country. He then made a covenant with Abraham saying, I'm gonna give you two promises. One, you're gonna have descendants from your line. And two, you're gonna have a land that I'll give you. But then the last thing God did for Abraham in this covenant is he gave a second command. And it's found in Genesis chapter 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. You know what's fascinating is right after this whole manifestation of God and the smoking fire pot and flaming torch took place, you would have thought right then and there, Abram would be good to go. He would remain faithful for the rest of his life. But Abraham's just like you and me. He screwed up again. <laughs> you know how he screwed up? Well, over time, he started getting impatient. He's saying, all right, God, you're telling me I'm supposed to have a kid, but uh, time's ticking here. I'm, I'm 86 years old. I'm about 90. I mean, come on. I need to have a son here. His wife, Sarah, got impatient too. And so what did she do? But she told Abraham, hey, Abraham, just, just go be with my, 
my maidservant, you know, Hagar, and maybe that's part of the plan. And so Abraham said, well, okay, dear, I'll, I'll go do that. So he ends up getting with Hagar, and they have this son, Ishmael. Well, it went completely against God's plan because God said, from your flesh and blood, from your offspring, or, or from, from you, I will have an offspring. You will have an offspring. But, but Abraham went against that because he was getting impatient. How often do you and I get impatient and we take matters in our own hands? That's what Abraham and Sarah did. And there were severe consequences to that decision because what happened? Well, God cursed Ishmael essentially saying, well, out of the line of Ishmael, there's gonna be great war and hostility between the descendants of Ishmael and your future descendants. And that war is still happening. It's called Islam. We see that still today. Because Abraham got impatient and he took matters in his own hands. But here's why I bring up Genesis 17. Despite Abraham's sin, God still was patient once again with Abraham. And he gives him another command saying, okay, you've already made a lot of mistakes. Now you're 99 years old. I'm gonna give you that son. 14 years go by and Isaac is born. God's grace. But God told Abraham, I want you to be blameless and I want you to be faithful. Why do I bring that up to you? Because God calls each one of us faithful. And we're not gonna do things perfectly like Abraham didn't, like Noah didn't, like everybody else who's ever lived didn't other than Jesus. We will mess up, we will sin. And at the same time, God tells us to pick ourselves back up when we mess up and to keep moving forward and be faithful every day. So as we close out this message and we prepare for the table, I, wanna, I want us to think about four things briefly. The first thing is, if God is calling you to do something, do it. Don't analyze it so much. Jump in. George Murray, a missionary to Italy, he was a president of Columbia International, and he once said that for years he was willing to go to the mission field, but he was planning to stay. It wasn't until he was planning to go, but willing to stay, did God send him to Italy. My question to you is, are you willing to go, but planning to stay? Or are you planning to go and willing to stay? There's a big difference. The second thing I want you to take away from this is trust in Jesus Christ. As you trust in him, his righteousness will be placed on you. There's no other way to get to heaven but through Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, trust in him now. Trust in him today. And the way you do that is you repent of your sins, you cling to his promises, and you start walking for him and living for him. The third thing is, is even when your faith wavers, trust in God's promises because he never breaks his word. You and me will at times in our lives have spiritually dry seasons where we wake up and we don't wanna read our Bible, we don't wanna pray, we, we have doubt, we have confusion. It's, it's part of the walk and it's really hard when we go through those times and our spiritual, spiritual lives begin to waver and drift from God. It's in those times more than ever where I encourage you, cling to the promises of God because he always keeps his word. And if you're in that season right now, cling to his promises. Let him revive your soul. Let him wake you up with passion. And maybe the table will, help, will do that today. 
The fourth thing I would say is be faithful in the day-to-day tasks that God has in store for you. God calls us to be faithful. And even though it might appear mundane and routine, God tells us be faithful. A missionary couple came home aboard a ship after many years of faithful service in Africa. And it just so happened that on that same ship, there was a, a very important diplomat who got special treatment when he came home after being gone for two weeks. When the ship arrived, the couple stood back and they watched from the deck as the band played and the people had gathered and there was great applause when this diplomat uh, came back home. And as the diplomat, as he walked down the gangplank and he was whisked off in a lovely limousine to the sounds of music and applause, what was interesting was is right after he walked and went through all this, the missionary man and his wife, he, he looked over at his wife and he just said, you know, honey, we just served in Africa for 30 years. And he said, it just doesn't seem right after all these years that we would have this kind of treatment. And here this fellow, this diplomat's been gone for two weeks and he gets that special kind of treatment. He says, it just doesn't seem right. His wife, she put her arms around her husband and she said to him, but honey, We're not home yet. I bring this up to you because sometimes being a Christian, it's not only hard, but just living day to day and being faithful, that's where it gets challenging. But that's the most important thing we can do is just to be faithful and not expect achievement and recognition for what we do. It's not about that. Because recognition on this earth, it it comes and it goes But here's the thing we need to all understand about the big picture of life. We are here for just a little bit, a little bit. Our life is but a vapor and mist that goes away and vanishes. And at the same time, while we are here on this earth, God has given us a job to do and to be faithful in the day-to-day living and obeying him and to walk blamelessly before him. We are called to think eternally and think about storing treasures in heaven and not seeking treasures on this earth. Because treasures on this earth, they're fleeting, they're temporary, they come and go. But treasures in heaven, they'll be stored for eternity. And I hope you and me will have the heart from now on until we die of saying, I hope not only to be faithful each day, But I hope that one day when I get home to my eternal heaven, that God will say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. Hang in there.